This looks promising. Hello and welcome to Endure and Survive, a podcast where the underrepresented in the games industry talk about the gaming characters that inspired them to get where they are today. Today we're chatting to Izzy Jagan, the junior global PR manager for Life is Strange at Square Enix, previously MNC Saatchi and Indigo Pearl, and part of this year's MCV 30 Under 30. We talked all things queer representation, the post-apocalypse, and the star signs of our favourite characters. So with that being said, I'm Millicent. And I'm Ellen. And this is Endure and Survive. Hi Izzy, thank you so much for joining us. Really excited to have you here and for us to both properly e-meet you. Uh, Do you want to start just letting us know a bit about who you are and what you do in games? Yeah, sure thing. Um, So currently I am the junior global PR manager for the Life is Strange franchise. Um, And previously I've been in various PR agencies such as Indigo Capel and MNC Saatchi where I've worked on games like Overwatch, uh, Blizzard games, um, I worked on Candy Crush for a while as well, so I've done I've done a mixed bag of things in my career so far. But yeah, really glad to be joining you guys today, and uh, excited for some toasty discussions. <laughs> so when did you join? Was it around the time of Life is Strange Two, or was it after that? It was last year in March, so um, at the start of the the pando, uh, mm-hmm. which was which is a strange time to start, but. Um, yeah, it's been really good so far. Um, it's one of my dream titles to, to have worked on. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to be where I am at the moment and, you know, be able to be part of a franchise that is quite renowned for its queer representation and taking that into the future as well. Mm. I do normally have a Sean behind me, but he actually fell down the back of the... You can see Daniel, he's like there, yes. but the Sean fell down the back of the... And I haven't been able to get him back out yet. So. Oh my God, that's, <laughs> that's there. symbolism. It is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. He fell down there so that Daniel didn't have to fall down there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm actually playing Life is Strange for the first time at the minute. Um, coincidence, because uh, a guest coming on in a while, one of her chosen characters is Max Caulfield. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll do my research. Um, but I've had them for a while. I think, thankfully, I've got them all on sales and PS Plus and stuff like that. And I just want to like binge them all at the minute. Um, but it's it's really interesting. Did you play the game, become a fan, and then get the job, or did you kind of get the job and then was like, wow, this is like an incredible franchise, and now I'm the biggest fan ever? No, I, I was a fan long before I worked mm-hmm. on the game. Um, I played the games first when I was in uni. Um, and then from there kind of was a massive fan and, and somehow they agreed to hire me. So <laughs> here I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've only ever worked on the uh, newest Life is Strange, Life is Strange Two Colors, which is coming out in September. Um, oh, it looks incredible. It I'm does, so that trailer. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, the team's been working really hard at it and I'm really proud of where we are at the moment. So mm-hmm. yeah. Also the power of empathy, like what? <laughs> only <laughs> only Life is Strange could come up with something like that and it'd be like completely plausible. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so you know the premise of the podcast and you've brought uh, you've kindly brought three characters with you. Do you want to start off with the first one and why you've chosen it? Yes, of course. So um, my first character is Spyro. And I know what you're thinking. 
uh, how did a purple dragon inspire you in your career? <laughs> well, let me get into it. Um, so I think historically, um, obviously speaking as like a queer person and a person of color, I think a lot of people like me as children were really drawn to these kind of anthropomorphic uh, characters that were, you know, animals or like cute little creatures, um, but weren't necessarily human because I think that kind of allowed for a degree of separation between um, who we felt we are as people and then feeling represented by someone on screen because we couldn't get to that directly um, at that point in time. Obviously I was, I was a child in the nineties. Um, and I think at that time there wasn't a lot of overt queer representation in games. So I think, you know, we took what we could get um, and I felt more represented by a purple dragon than I did by, for example, like Solid Snake, you know? Um, mm. Um, and that kind of fantastical approach to, to storytelling and, and game design and everything just really appealed to me because it was so um, new and it, it really allowed my imagination to run wild. And it, I think it's, it's, it's actually quite common for, as I said, queer kids to be drawn to animals and creatures. You can see it in games like Pokemon, like for example, almost every queer person I know has loved po Pokemon at some point in their lives. You know, there's different characters that embody different traits that we see in ourselves. Like for example, Ditto, who's like a amorphous blob that can <laughs> literally like shapeshift its identity. And I think that's quite symbolic to queerness and, you know, performativity and, and stuff like that. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, there, there isn't a lot of chat about the narrative impact of Spyro. And lucky for you, I'm bringing that to you today. Um, <laughs> Please do. Fantastic. <laughs> We're so honoured. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so narratively, just talking about the first Spyro game, Spyro the Dragon, um, it's, it's kind of a classic coming of age story. You know, it, it kind of explores the, the adolescence of this young dragon. Um, and he learns like valuable lessons and discovers his abilities um, against this kind of backdrop of this weird evil force that is always working in the background to uh, take away people's freedoms and entrap people in literal crystal so they can't <laughs> be free. Um, obviously, I'm not going to pretend as like a six and seven year old, I understood the, the symbolism behind that taking away of freedoms but for some reason it struck a chord with me um and what i really found interesting as as an adult is the approach that spyro the the franchise took to dragons especially in the first game because historically throughout mythology um especially with eastern representations of dragons they're all kind of um materially genderless but metaphysically male so they're all represented as um, male in a metaphysical sense, not in a literal sense, which I think is quite interesting as well, because in a way that's how gender is in real life as well. It's not a defined thing. It's kind of vague and amorphous and metaphysical as well. So I found that really interesting. And also all the dragons are men. That's a little bit gay. Um, <laughs> and it's canonical that they reproduce um, by using fairies 
I don't know what else I have no. to say. <laughs> um, I think that kind of solidifies my point about Spyro being gay. Uh, it sounds like, um, you know how Wonder Woman is from Themyscira, which is an island of all women, where yes. Spyro is from somewhere that's like all dudes? Mm, like, yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, fairies, gay male dragons, <laughs> um, and animals. That's that's basically why I was drawn to Spyro as a child. That's amazing. I feel like I just got like a mini gender studies lesson as, there, <laughs> as well there. That was like really interesting. So you played the originals in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Have you played the remastered trilogy? And like, what was it like if you did? Oh yes, I did. I did. I, I played them absolutely nonstop until I 100%ed, sorry, 110%ed them. And it was a very interesting experience, I think. I think when you're you're younger and you're first getting into video games, these games become kind of like a cornerstone of who you were in that phase of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they come to kind of embody the experience that you were having at that point. And when I was really young, obviously I didn't really know what queerness was yet, but I still kind of had that little thing in the back of my head that was like, you're different. We don't know how yet. We'll discuss it in 10 years in therapy. You know, that kind <laughs> circle of thing. back. We'll circle <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so um, coming back to it now, when I'm like, fully self-realized I guess and really at home with who I am and really comfortable with who I am was kind of just a a nice point of reflection I think Mm -hmm. um and it, it kind of allowed me to realize how far I've come and how far video games have come as well because I you know I looked to Spyro as as a formation of a form as a formative thing to do with my identity but now there are so many other games that that helped me find who I am and and really solidify that for me so I think the the reignited trilogy really kind of acted as a a nice point of uh, reflection for me yeah I think it can easily go either way with like a remaster or reignition I guess in Spyro's case because it's particularly because they Obviously, it's done by different people and they reskin some of the characters. It did take me a while to be like, am I okay with Hunter looking like this now? And like, how do I feel about Alora looking like this? Because it is it is just playing on something that I, I was the same. I was absolutely obsessed with Spyro. I think it's one of the main games that I played in my childhood. And I remember always really resonating with his like reluctance as, as the hero. I think quite often we have you know, someone swoops in to save the day, whereas he's like, I just want to go on holiday. Like I really just, (laughs) especially in the second and third one, it's like, can I have a day off? And that's, (laughs) I found that a lot more relatable than, I don't know if it's because I was like a painfully shy child. So that like- The accidental hero. hero. Yeah. Yeah, I find that a lot more easy to relate to than the person who literally set themselves up to, there's a certain arrogance to someone who was like, I've come to save the day. It's it's definitely the opposite of the chosen one. He was the uh, the forcefully. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and I found Um, that so much more relatable than, I'm struggling to think of games I played as a child where they were the like knight in shining armor or anything. Maybe I just avoided them at all cost. (laughs) I think I avoided them as well. I feel like even as a child that struck me as a bit, as a bit boring in a way. Mm. um the kind of like someone's chosen to be the hero and there's this like preordained 
prophecy and, and everything like that. Obviously, as, as an adult, I've grown to, to really like games that have that premise um, in, in some stories. But I think even as a child, I was like, boring. I want to play as a purple dragon who <laughs> breathes fire. That's better. And also I had a massive crush on Laura. so. Yes. yes. <laughs> I feel like uh, her and also um, I completely blanked on her name, but the rabbit in the... Oh, Bianca. Yes. Yeah. When, when her and Hunter start to have a thing and then her ears come down because she's, I don't know why. I don't know what that was supposed to represent. The fact that her ears came down, she's like softer because she had Oh yeah, less villainous. Yeah. yeah, I was <laughs> like, this is, what's that? Um one what's that community line where he's like i hope this doesn't awaken anything in me yeah. <laughs> i was seeing that like mm. Let, mm-hmm. again let's circle back to that in a yeah, few years and figure out what that, <laughs> what that meant mm-hmm. i i loved her and also really not uh had a crush on but i really liked sheila from the games as well because she was just a female character who was really fun to play as for the short amount of time you get to play as her but not yeah. obviously they wouldn't have sexed her up because it's a child's game but just just female no, no frills no long hair no anything she's just a, a cool kangaroo she's yeah. a kangaroo isn't she i yeah, just had a panic day where i was like what is she yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a cool kangaroo to play as yeah. i used to i used to just like stay in the world that she was in and just kind of be like i'm just her now i just live yeah. here and <laughs> oh yeah i loved her little world and her like goat friends mm. <laughs> yeah. so cute and yeah. yeah you're right she was just like a female character that didn't have like long eyelashes or like, as you said, long hair or wearing a dress. Because I think a lot of the times when there are like anthropomorphic characters in games or in any media, they indicate that they are female by giving them like lipstick or eyelashes mm-hmm. or eyeshadow and stuff. And, and I, I do think, yeah, Sheila really avoided that. Yeah, amazing. I I did play Spyro. All these characters you were talking about, I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are because I don't remember playing it, but I know that I played it. Because um, <laughs> I I went to, I don't, have you ever heard of this thing? I don't know if it's a Northern thing, Big Fun Club. Do you guys have that? I don't know if it's just like a one, it's just this one that exists and I seem to think it's like a universal experience. Um, but like when your parents like working late or whatever and you know, because my parents like were on shift work and stuff, they'd like pick you up from school and take you to this building called the Big Fun Club. And they basically just like give you some toast and then sit you in a playroom full of stuff while your parents finish work. <laughs> so like I, we'd always have a snack and then go in and there was like a train set, there was a corner with some dolls in it and there was a corner with a PS1. Uh, which That's everyone the like, you want to be yeah in. everyone like ran to the ps1 and whoever got their first base like, stayed on it all night <clears throat> but they had spyro and pandemonium which scarred me as a kid pandemonium like we do not talk about that game um <laughs> but spyro i remember because obviously it was like an after school club thing and it was just whoever got to the console first got to play so i just remember like little chunks of it like different scenes and like how cool he was but I got the remastered trilogy recently and I started playing it again um I need to pick it back up actually but I was like whoa like it looks amazing <laughs> and I remember just how fun it was to just be like you know similar to like crash and stuff like that just be like this strange animal type thing a dragon or a whatever crash bandicoot is <laughs> and just like jumping around and collecting stuff from crates and gems and just yeah, really cool, colorful, fun world that didn't feel super high stakes. Like yeah, I wasn't, I was never stressed. It's safe. It's yeah. very safe, those games. Those games, I think a lot of them, maybe as adults, 
have become like comfort media mm-hmm. to a lot of people mm-hmm. um and I think it's it's of course really important to have those yeah it feels like a very necessary addition to my collection mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah absolutely did you uh, play the uh the remastered Crash Bandicoot yeah I haven't I really want it I just like have to be a bit careful with my pennies at the minute yeah <laughs> but I'm it played. looks amazing <laughs> I've got the Crash either. phone app have you played the app they made I have I played the app yeah um I deleted it after two days though because I am very uh suggestible when it comes to in-app <laughs> yes. purchases oh yes my <laughs> subway surfer account it's a too much <laughs> yeah, I don't have any self-restraint so it's pretty yeah. dangerous for me <laughs> those damn microtransactions <laughs> oh, I'm so bad with those we played mm-hmm. we only played Red Dead Online twice and I was like it would be so much better if I had a cool hat though wouldn't it and I spent <laughs> yeah. real money on it and I spent real money on a horse and then my friends started to get bored of playing it and <laughs> now we don't play it anymore I think I spent like, like almost 10 real pounds in that game mate no do you know how ashamed i was the other day when i was playing subway surfer in bed and it was like it's pride season and i really want the pride bot skin so i'm like trying really hard to play as much as i can and it comes up with these offers every time you open the game and i was like oh that that is really cool though it's like a viking outfit and if i purchase it like this i get the outfit and the board and a new character so i spent like six pound 99 on just an outfit in mm. a phone app and i was like you feel so dirty, don't you? Yeah, I always feel like it taints the experience as well. Yeah, like I always enjoy mobile games up until the point where I pay something in the game, and then I feel like, oh, I just feel bad. Yeah, yeah. it's so weird. Um, they but really yeah, get anyway. you with those stores that like refresh <laughs> as well. Like, I recently got code for Knockout City, and they refresh, like, with Fall Guys, they refresh the store every few hours. So that it's like you spend all of your coins that you just got given from playing the game and then they refresh and show you better stuff and you're like, shit, <laughs> I need I need these light up shoes. There is no question about it. So Yeah. Make my life so much richer. Yeah. <laughs> I got really pulled into like when I was going through my Overwatch phase last year when I was on it for like ten hours a day. I got really pulled in, not even last year. This was like, I was like 17. What am I talking about? I once like got really bad at the loot boxes because there was like mm. a Symmetra skin that was a dragon. And I was like, my gaming experience oh my would obviously be improved tenfold if I had this dragon skin. Yeah. And I was in college and I had, you know, pocket money from shifts. And I was like, fuck it. And I literally spent nearly 50 quid just trying to get loot boxes, waiting until I, not even joking, nearly 50 pounds, right? And I was like, okay, this loot box will be the one. I'll just buy one more loot box and oh, I'll have that skin. It will always, over next over. one is always the one, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. My brother did that with FIFA, um, like used my poor single mum's credit card to buy FIFA <laughs> oh, packs. No. And then uh, she was like, why have I been charged like 80 quid? Oh, <laughs> I don't even know what you what you're trying to get like shinies. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm, I've not played very much FIFA, so I don't know what. Shinies. A know. very uh, pretty ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This ball Shiny glows shoes. in the dark. <laughs> yeah. I don't even oh, think God. it's that cool. I think it's just oh, you've got. Is it players LA. that you get? Yeah. Yeah. I know a footballer. I know two. Messi. Either Beckham, right? On. Yeah. Is David Beckham he's... still a footballer? <laughs> I don't think he actually plays football anymore. No. I don't think he... Oh no. <laughs> But actually, don't take any any of that from me. <laughs> I take it with a pinch of salt. I know nothing about football. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, are, I don't know why people I dragged to be talking about it. <laughs> I know, but like, football? Football. <laughs> 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 I'm so sorry for like dragging us into microtransactions. That was quite a tangent. 
Um, no, it's fine. Yeah, keep me away from loot boxes is the lesson that we have learned today. <laughs> um, <laughs> so who is your next character? So my second character is uh, Fang from Final Fantasy XIII. Um, and allow me once more to go in another tangent about- Do it, um, please. <laughs> about theory and, and symbolism. <laughs> um, so it's it's really interesting actually, because um, Fang and her kind of uh, friend, best friend slash lover, uh, Vanille, were kind of trapped away for 500 years. They were like a pair of warriors that were trying to like fight against this really evil force in, in the world of Final Fantasy XIII. And they were trapped in crystal for 500 years. And they kind of wake up uh, 500 years later and they literally remember nothing except for the fact that they are with each other. Um, and um, aside from that being really tragic, it, I also found it quite romantic in a way that the 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 single memory that stuck with them 500 years later is the memory of each other mm. um and um i found it really interesting that actually the the characters of, of fang and vanille have a lot of parallels with the um the ragnarok myth um in in which the the, the figures of lif and lifrasir um, are meant to be the only humans that survive Ragnarok. Um, and they are meant to be the two that kind of um, bring the earth back to life after Ragnarok um, and basically save all of humanity. Um, and I think that is paralleled quite nicely in the game where at the end, they both kind of sacrifice themselves in order to um, create a pillar for the earth to stand up on so that it, it survives. Um, and uh, they they kind of sleep through all the destruction and when they awaken the earth is going to be you know green and beautiful again um, so I love that symbolism I find it really lovely and romantic and it, it really warms my English literature degree heart <laughs> <laughs> I love some mythology symbolism and I also really loved the the relationship between the two um, but before I get into that, I just want to talk a bit about why I really like Fang as well um, on her own. She's kind of like this pillar of strength in the game. She's she's basically the counterpart to Vanille, who Vanille is always portrayed as very like naive and innocent and and kind of tries her best, but doesn't really know what she's doing, even though she kind of puts that on to make people underestimate her. And Fang is kind of the, the counterpoint of that where people overestimate her because of the outward strength she puts on as kind of a facade. And I found that a really interesting thing to see in, in a female character um, because, you know, there's obviously like strong female character trademark, um, but I found in Fang that she was a strong female character on the outside, but on the inside, she was actually very vulnerable and she had loads of flaws and weaknesses. And um, at the end of it all, the thing that kept her going wasn't her physical or mental strength, it was her care for Vanille. And I kind of found that a, a really important aspect in the game. And I, I really resonated with that because mm -hmm. it kind of told me, you know, 
um, strength isn't all being, you know, hard and tough and physically strong. Strength is also like your love and affection and, and kindness towards other people. And I found that a really nice lesson. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah, maybe I will play this Final Fantasy game. <laughs> that was I really, really recommend it. I really recommend yeah. it. It's um, it gets a lot of criticism just because it 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 does take a while to open up um, in terms of like the world space. But I really love the story and the mm -hmm. narrative. Um, as so, if you can look past a bit of linearity in the beginning of the game, then the story kind of really blossoms. So I'd really recommend it. Mm -hmm. Is that your favorite Final Fantasy game then, do you think, because of Final? I would say, I would say so, yeah. Um, and it's also one of the Final Fantasy games with like the most female characters. Oh. And I just love that. And, you know, you've got Lightning, who's the protagonist, but who's also a female character. So I would definitely recommend it. Mm -hmm. mm. It's interesting that they came as a pair as well, because they seem like complete opposites, but also neither more important than the other with regards to their strengths. I guess she has more of like a the physical, more overt strength mm -hmm. than Vanille, but neither are less important to have as a person. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what I like a lot about them is that they are, they're both strong in very different ways um, at that kind of parallel and oppose each other. Obviously, as I said, Fang comes across as very like physically strong but um, emotionally vulnerable and Vinyl comes across as very emotionally, um, emotionally strong, but physically weak, but she's not actually, it's kind of just a facade that she puts on for people to underestimate her. And the same with Fang, she wants people to overestimate her so that they don't dive deeper into who she is and find her vulnerability. Um, and I think as, as someone who, I want to say put on a facade about who I was when I was a teenager a lot of the time I kind of really related to that because I really wanted to come across as like really strong and like unemotional and um in fact I'm a Pisces so that didn't work out <laughs> <laughs> um so I kind of really related to that aspect of her mm. are you like um big into astrology yes what course. would you say Spyro and Fangar <laughs> if we don't know <laughs> we should add this as a regular yeah question. i would I really like, like to know what star signs are your favorite characters because um, i'm curious as well when we go on to your next one obviously we know who it is but the listeners don't yeah. i really want to know who you, what you think she mm. is as well so let's um, do them all <laughs> okay so spyro um i think he would be a libra mm -hmm. i'm gonna say a libra because while he is quite like outwardly capable, he's also a little bit flaky. Like mm. he would be elsewhere if he could be. <laughs> he doesn't necessarily want to be here, but he is because he feels obliged. Um, <laughs> and I'd say Fang, I think, I think Fang is, uh, I think Fang's a Sagittarius. I think Fang's a Sagittarius. I think she's cool. a Sagittarius or a Taurus. I see some of I see some Taurusness in Spyro a little bit, but that might be because I'm a Taurus. Yeah, and it's kind of like <laughs> his stubbornness and his kind of 
bullishness yeah. I guess I'm like Aww. yeah I see a little bit of myself in him <laughs> yeah yeah I didn't yeah. know you were a Taurus I read that Taurus you and do know I'm a Taurus no. every time I tell you you're like we're so compatible <laughs> yeah we're just the same match oh I hate myself I can't you believe that sorry deja vu I was literally gonna say the exact same thing like Taurus and Capricorn are a really good match <laughs> I even see you on Instagram like my bet Taurus hit me up I'm like mate you know I'm a Taurus <laughs> Yeah, wow. I, I mean, every character I like, I'm like, I see some Taurus in them because yeah. I like yeah. to deflect the bits of Taurus that I'm not that keen on, and I'm like, mm. yeah, yeah, mm. no, that's that's fair. I literally see Pisces and everything. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be seen. I'm like, all my favorite characters are obviously Capricorns because <clears throat> yeah. we're all the best star signs. So, <laughs> which I'm sure is a very Capricorn thing to say. <laughs> okay, my best friend is also a Capricorn. Mm-hmm. I, I, I am very used to it. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Um, third and final character. Maybe I'm a star sign. <laughs> and the star sign. Shall we begin with star, star sign? sign? Yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't, what, does she actually have a star sign? Like in She in must the have a, um, yeah, because we see her birthday. I'm going to Google it. Ellie turned 14 sometime between the 30th of May and the 11th of July. <gasps> She's... Oh, she might be a Gemini. Interesting. I'm a, I'm a cusp. One of the Gemini, actual, Taurus, yeah, it comes up with Ellie's zodiac sign. And someone said Aries. Mm. Bright, talented, So she's courageous. somewhere between Aries and what's after Gemini? Is it, it's not Leo, is it? What's in between Gemini and Leo? Uh, oh my God, guys. The last was part two. Which character are you based on your star sign? <laughs> what are we got? A Taurus? I'm Taurus. on that article right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Taurus is Joel. I'm very jealous. Um... And Pisces is Jesse. Okay. Oh, I love Oh, I'm jealous. I'm good with that. Yeah. We just did an episode where we one of the characters was Jesse, and we talked about him so much, and we just love him. Mm. Um, and Capricorn. I love Jesse. He's... Owen. Oh. Wait, who did you get? Sorry, I got Owen. <laughs> I, I thought you win. Out. I thought you said I win. So I winning. I actually really like Owen. He has some great kind of things to say about life. I will say. Yeah. He is very like um personable. Is that a good thing? Mm. Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah, a good thing. <laughs> oh, just Googling what personable Sagittarius means. is Manny. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, right, okay, sorry, we got that out of the way. No, it's okay. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just, uh, my condolences to any Geminis who read that list. Wait, who, who did they get? Seth, the homophobic one. Oh, no! <laughs> Why did they even put him on there? Why is he on this list? I don't list? know, I don't know. Surely there are other characters, right? <laughs> Wait, a big trait of Geminis is their ability to learn from their mistakes. <laughs> did he know? <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that we're all uh, Joel, Jesse, and Owen. Mm. It's interesting that it's all the male characters in the game, but yeah. I think that's nice. They're all yeah. the nice male characters. Exactly. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with, with it. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, that out of the way. Um, that was a very necessary segment in mm-hmm. this podcast, I think, um, should be a thing going forward. <laughs> um, so yeah my third and final character is ellie from the last of us um just speaking about the original last of us at the moment um and we can get into last of us two afterwards so the original last of us came out in 2013 right so Mm -hmm. 
um, I would have been like 17 or 18. It's before I went to university and I was a gamer, but I wasn't like a gamer, like capital G gamer, you know? <laughs> mm. So I played The Last of Us, obviously, because it was like popular and I was getting good reviews. So I thought with my lowercase g gamer creds, I would have to play it. Um, so because of that, Ellie was kind of the first explicitly LGBTQ character I played as as like a, a player character in the Left Behind DLC. Um, and obviously the latter part of the Last of Us game as well. And it kind of really struck me how powerful that agency was of, of being actually physically in the shoes of a, a character who was canonically queer. Um, I think uh, one of the really great parts of games as a medium, especially for, for people who maybe struggle to express or find their identities in real life is the capacity that games give us to really step into the shoes of somebody and basically perform in a safe space as somebody else with a completely different identity to us or an identity that is similar to us that we might not necessarily feel safe to reflect in our real lives. Um, so that was one of the first experiences I'd had being actually in the shoes of a queer character. Um, and this kind of agency obliged you to empathize with her because you'd seen her grow throughout the entirety of the main game and then you find out she's queer in the DLC. And that kind of makes you empathize with her. It forces you to, to, to see this character that you've loved for however many hours in the main game and know that she's queer after you've grown to love her and realize that it doesn't make you love her any differently. Um, and I think that was really important to me as well because she was she was Ellie before she was queer. And I think that was a really nice thing to see as a character's queerness not being the entirety of who they were. However, having said that, <laughs> <laughs> as much as I really adored the DLC and, and Ellie's story with Riley, it kind of also at the same time as it was my first experience being in the shoes of a queer character, it was also the thing that made me realize how tragic a lot of our stories are, um, that a lot of them are full of loss and struggle and violence and strife. And it was, it kind of really emboldened me to want to do better. And um, it, it inspired me so much that I actually wrote my dissertation on queerness in the post-apocalypse. Um, oh, no way. And I, you know, throughout my career now, my my one goal is to do better by queer characters and, you know, show that we can be happy and we're allowed to live beyond our purpose in the main plot. You know, we don't have to only exist up until the point of our usefulness ending. Um, and I think that that experience with Ellie as a character has really informed my career now. Wow. Mm. <laughs> that was so powerful. <laughs> I feel like you're coming out with these like incredible speeches and then we're just like, Wow. The fact that you managed to make one about Spyro as impactful as one about Ellie's hats off. Like that's, that's so, so impressive. impressive. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Thank you. I think it's really interesting that you say you liked that her queerness came um, in the DLC. And I kind of agree with you in how you put it. Like, you know, we we loved Ellie and then, you know, players who maybe, because obviously players stole throughout the whole game and there is like a subset of players who missed Joel in the second game and things like that and needed that man to identify. Mm -hmm. So having grown to love her for all that time and then like, surprise, she's a lesbian but yeah. you still love her right and then they were like crap you're right I do yeah <laughs> and but that's really interesting because I know that a lot of people feel like her queerness coming out in the DLC was maybe a bit um like a slap in the face I guess that it was like well, it like should have been away. yeah like it should have been a part of the main thing like not everyone will play a DLC and I remember people being like you know why why is that like an optional extra that we have to play to find out this about her. But I really like the kind of stand she had on it. And I completely agree. I think that I probably taught a lot of players some empathy at the time, yeah. I'm sure. I think as well, like, as you said, taking into consideration the time it came out, 2013 was a different time yeah. <laughs> to now. And I think with just the the majority of the, the audience that were playing The Last of Us, I wouldn't say were the most progressive mm-hmm. types, um, the great majority anyway, obviously I don't know every single person who played The Last of Us in 2013, um, but I think it really allowed people who maybe weren't as aware or progressive in that time to, to find some way to empathize with her and yeah. to to still you know, realize that they still loved her as a character and they still wanted to, to know her and find out her story, even if she was queer. Um, mm. And I Definitely. think that was that was important at the time. I think something like that now might be a bit different. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we've moved past that, but I think it was a necessary point in time. It's interesting that now I hadn't thought about it in that way. And it's interesting that the DLC where you do realize that Ellie's gay is something that preceded the gay, like what you play her as in the main campaign, because it's almost, I imagine in the same way, if you had a child who came out to you, it's like, they have always been that person. You just have this extra information about them that you didn't have before, mm-hmm. rather than not letting gamers who might be against it have any excuse to go, well, she's different now. Like, no, 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 she yeah. was she was that the entire time. You can't use that as a, I don't want to play as her anymore because she's gay now. It's like you play, she's you fell in gay. love with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've mm. never thought about how interesting it is that they made that they showed that to us as a prequel rather than showing that to us at, in the second one. Like they could have easily just done the second one. She has a girl, or she is interested in a girl now. Then that could be, then I think people could use it as an excuse of like, oh, she's changed. It's like, no, yeah. man, she's literally the same person. You just have more information yeah. about her than you And I think, I think it is really important as well that her relationship with Riley was actually so informative to who she was as a character. Mm-hmm. because of her you know she perceived her inability to save Riley as as a reason to kind of become this protector and really drove her to never lose anyone ever again mm. which is a really important aspect of her character in the main game so it I think it is really nice that her her queerness is intrinsically tied to who she then eventually becomes yeah and I think it's really interesting as well that they do she talks about Riley a lot in the the main game like she's always kind of referencing her or bringing her up like when they find the arcade game and she's like oh my friend was really good at this or and then she gives us that anecdote at the end like 
they were always thinking about Riley, even if they didn't say like Riley was who Ellie was in love with. Yeah. And you kind of just get that vibe anyway, because she talks about her so much. Like, you know, when you, when you're in love with someone, you kind of bring them up at any opportunity. And I felt like that's kind of what Ellie did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, that was a really new perspective that I hadn't thought of before. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this is why good. I love this and, podcast. <laughs> and I think also a lot of the times, um, just going back to what I was saying about her queer relationship mm-hmm. being a point of growth for her, especially in um, post-apocalyptic stories, there isn't a lot of queerness because queerness is seen as an ending point. It's seen as kind of nothing can be produced from queerness. So it's, you know, obsolete and not productive to kind of um, re-establishing society or um, growth or renewal uh, in any sort of way so I think the fact that something stemmed from her queerness is is also a really nice thing to see in a post-apocalyptic narrative where queerness isn't really ever portrayed as a positive thing mm. oh is it you're blowing my mind <laughs> I'm literally just stunned it's seen as being not productive in a post-apocalypse is like one of those like oh of course mm-hmm. <laughs> oh I want to read you your dissertation. So yes, yes, yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that all three of us um, came to The Last of Us when we weren't, like you were saying, Capital G gamers. Like, we all experienced it at that same point where we were kind of like, whoa, games can do that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested. Like, yeah. keep, keep going. And I, I played it with my younger brother. And not that you should put gay characters in games to benefit straight men. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that must have had an impact on him as a, what was it, 2013, 10, 11-year-old? You probably shouldn't have played it, he was too young. <laughs> but like as an 11-year-old, having that experience, I'd like to think, I'd like to think that that had an impact on him as well. So were you into, were you a capital G gamer when the second one came out? Or like in the run-up to the second one when there was a lot of worry that it might be Dina that she was or whoever the girlfriend was that she was going to be avenging yes yes uh well it came out last year didn't it feels like such a, a year ago today ago. I don't know a year, is ago. It a year ago today is it? oh wow okay yep. oh happy last happy anniversary <laughs> prophetic um yeah so I was was a capital G gamer in in the industry a fish officially in the biz um <laughs> yeah um, and as, as I think working in games gave me a lot of perspective on how much of a move it was for them to show that kiss mm. in that E3 presentation where they first announced the game. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously the first announcement you make of your game is what you want the narrative to be around your game. It's what you want the story to start with. And the fact that they wanted the story of their game to start with that kiss and that overt depiction of queerness, I thought was a really, a big move actually. And one that I really respected. Um, And obviously then it gave way to the worries that Dean was gonna die and that was gonna be who Ellie was avenging, but thankfully that was not the case. Um, (laughs) And um, you can imagine how delighted I was when um, Ellie and Dina were like raising their little baby together. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of felt like the result of my dissertation because I wrote about how queerness is unproductive in a post-apocalypse because it doesn't give way to anything new. 
Um, and then their queerness giving way to something new, a baby and a flourishing farm and a lot of life was just like, okay, we've actually moved on from that. And now queerness is productive and it has purpose and it can be something that is um, really actually productive in the world and it has a place. Wow. So now you can write a sequel to your dissertation. Exactly. <laughs> God, what, I so, like how things have changed. <laughs> how did that feel then when she came back to the farm afterwards? Um, obviously tragic. Mm. Like it, it felt like, um, it felt like, I don't know how to describe it. It, it, it kind of felt, it felt like she had, um, she she'd come full circle um to being alone as she mm -hmm. was in the beginning of the first game um <clears throat> but she was alone now in kind of a a lot more of a tragic way because mm. it was a, a loneliness of arguably her own making um as opposed to something that you know the infection did um or any any other kind of splinter group um did so um yeah it kind of it kind of felt like a really tragic eventuality to me i do have a theory though that might make you feel better okay um and like i've seen this theory dotted about and i liked this is how i like to think oh yeah, i hope you're not gonna say right? the one i think you're gonna say what are you, what are you gonna <laughs> Oh no, okay. I might have told you already. But so when Ellie goes to Santa Barbara, she doesn't have Dina's bracelet on. But um, when she comes back to the house at the end of the game, she's wearing it. And so like in my head, or like I'd like to think that she's already been back to Jackson and right. seen Dina yeah. and JJ before she's gone back to the house at the end for like one last moment Yeah, to get the guitar. And then obviously realizing she can't play it because she's wearing the bracelet again. I'm like, okay, in my head, she's already gone back to Jackson. Dina's going to help her through it. She's going to go back now and like figure have some out. Closure. Yeah, have some closure, like yeah. figure out everything. And then she's just going to have a happy life with Dina and JJ. That's, that's I me. love that. I love that. It's canon. It's, it's canon. canon <laughs> is, that what you, is that what you thought I was going to say, Ellen? I've heard, yeah, I remember not long after it came out, um, when I was working on Games Radar, someone had the same theory. But I read that as, like, she was going off to do something unspeakable that Dina didn't want her to do, so she couldn't bring herself to wear it, because it's like, oh. oh, a constant reminder that I've just left the woman I love and the child that I've helped raise to be pretty shit um and then she's come back as like oh i'm ready to return to this life and she's got it back on and also part of me wants to think that dina did leave and mm. was just like if you're not going to choose me over this problem i know that ellie had her reasons and they were inescapable but i just love dina so much and i like to think that she's yeah. so unapologetic unapologetically herself she's in an apocalypse she's looking out for herself and a child and she wouldn't she wouldn't wait if Ellie yeah. has made that decision. Um, so as much like as I love Ellie and I've grown up with her, yeah. I'm like, don't let her come back now <laughs> and be like, welcome home, honey. No, she she left. Yeah. She chose to leave. I don't think they got back together. I, I think I think Dina definitely left and mm. just packed up and left all of Ellie's stuff. And then Ellie came back to Jackson to find her. And Dina was like, okay, well, you know, you did what you had to do. You, you paid the price. Obviously, we're done. But mm. you can go back and get your stuff and we'll talk it out and... You know, will help you get better, and that—that's—that's that's what I envision. 
Maybe not romantic. Maybe Ellie but... gets to see baby JJ on weekends. I'm okay with yeah. that. Joint that custody. Be... Joint custody, yeah. That can be canon. <laughs> they, they alternate Christmases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Mm. Oh. Well, I think we're coming to the end. This You have been a fantastic guest. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and it's been so lovely to meet you and get to chat to you about either these characters and how games have impacted your life. Um, if you would like to tell people, um, you don't have to, where they can maybe find you on social media or like what you're up to, what to look out for. Sure. So you can find me on Twitter. I'm Izzy Dragon with a zero. Um, I'm the same on Instagram and I don't know. Does anyone use LinkedIn? I don't. But, you know, <laughs> if you feel like it, I'm there too. <laughs> if you want to connect. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank, thank you. you for having me and enduring all of my talking about narratives and queer post-apocalypse and symbolism. No, it was such and a joy. dragons. Yeah. <laughs> What a brilliant Saturday. <laughs> I like the things that we've made canon in this is that Spyro yes. is gay, that Ellie oh, yeah. gets JJ on weekends. I, I think we've, <laughs> we've, we've put it all to rights. I like it. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Endure and Survive. Be sure to subscribe on your chosen podcast platform if you enjoyed it and check the show notes for more info on our guest, what we spoke about and where else you can find us. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at EnjoyGamesPod for all the latest updates on new guests, episodes and more. You can find me at underscore Ellen Causey and me at Millicent Games. Thank you again and see you next time. Well, that didn't suck. <laughs>